Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. And today on the podcast, we have audio from our service on Sunday, March 4th. This is the third part in our series, Fellowship of the King. Today's message is entitled, We Carry Each Other. This message, we're going to be looking into the aspect of how, as Christians living under the rule of Jesus Christ, we don't live as lone rangers, we don't go it alone, rather, we bear one another's burdens, we carry each other along. Just a reminder, this week we're also going to be starting our small groups. We've got groups meeting on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then on the following week we kick off a teen girls small group as well. Go to our website, northshorevineyard.org, for directions to the different groups where they're meeting. Also, we've got daily devotionals, Monday through Friday, for the season of Lent, so check those out. All right, well, let's head over to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Is it getting better? Do you feel the same? Will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame. You said one love, one life. When it's one need in the night, one love, we get to share it. It leaves you, baby, if you don't care for it. Did I disappoint you? Leave a bad taste in your mouth. You act like you never had love. You want me to go without. Well, it's too late tonight. To drag the past out into the light We're one, but we're not the same We get to carry each other, carry each other one for forgiveness Have you come to raise the dead 
Have you come here to play Jesus? To the lepers in your hand Did I ask too much? More than a lot You gave me nothing Now it's all I got We're one But we're not the same We hurt each other Then we do it again You say Love is a temple Love the higher law Love is a temple Love the higher law You ask me to enter Then you make me crawl And I can't be holding on To what you got When all you got is hurt One love One blood One life You got to do what you should One life with each other, sisters, brothers, one life, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other, one, we're one. We're one We get to carry each other Carry each other Vaverant and grab a bottle of water underneath that table in there That song's a lot easier to do when your voice isn't going out (laughs) Kind of sounds like the Joe Cocker version (laughs) <laughs> what would you do if I sang out of two? <laughs> I don't know, that sounded a little bit more like Tom Waits. Okay. <clears throat> uh, how many of y'all recognize that song? Okay, good. Man, they are not having fun back there this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Not you two fans. Um, I, I I wanted to start with this song. I'm I'm I've been a big fan of U2 for years, ever since I was in high school. And um, got any U2 fans in here? A few. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I just I feel bad. <laughs> Lord bless the children back there. Give them peace. Give them peace. <laughs> This was a song that was written at a very pivotal point in the career of U2. U2 started out in like 1976, I believe, and, and it was just a, a garage band. A couple of guys getting together. They were in high school. They were friends, and they were getting ready to play music. And they, they actually they didn't really even know how to play instruments very much. They said, hey, why don't Paul, why don't you be, uh, we're going to call you Bono, and you can be the lead singer, and, and his rock and roll name, the guitar player, can be Edge, and, and we'll we'll do a rock band. So they started doing this thing, and they got pretty good at it. They were very passionate. They weren't great musicians, but they were very passionate and contagious. Everything's okay. Nothing to see here, people. Nothing to see here, people. (laughs) But they, uh, 
they, they went from being a garage band, just playing kind of punk music, to all of a sudden they were playing clubs. And they were actually getting quite a following playing clubs. One day, a, a guy who owned uh, Island Records heard them playing in some club in Ireland. And, and he's like, wow, these guys are pretty good. Let's sign them up for a contract. They get a contract. And then the 80s, that was the decade for you too, man. They went from being a... a a band playing clubs to all of a sudden they're playing in front of tens of thousands of people in stadiums. That's pretty big when you come from a, you know, little town in Ireland uh, to, to, to go on that scale. So they were rock stars in the truest sense of the word. But with fame, there also kind of came a downside. We see that happen all the time. People particularly that go from kind of being obscure to all of a sudden they're thrust into the limelight. And that fame began taking its toll on the band. They, they had loved playing music together. They loved their relationships with each other. They loved all of that. But at some point, the, 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 it just became very hard. They were being tried by the very success that they had. And by the end of the 80s, they, they kind of wanted to close up shop. They were like, maybe it was a good ride, and, and now we just need to see the end of it. They felt like their creativity had plateaued or wasn't even there. They felt like the pressure was showing itself in their relationships. And so... They were about ready to call it quits. And then in 1990, um, they decided they'd give one last go at it, see if we can do one more studio album. Now, they were coming off of the heels of, you know, Joshua Tree getting a Grammy Award and rattling hum and all this. And they, uh, they decided to record an album in Berlin. And they thought Berlin, with the wall coming down, this would be a great place to, uh, to, to do an album. Maybe they could be inspired by freedom and walls coming down. Like maybe that would break them out of their creative funk. So they rent this studio in Berlin, and they start working on an album. And a month into it, they got nothing, which was doubly depressing because when you, it's one thing to be depressed in your own place with your own familiar circumstances, but when you're trying to run away from that depression and you bump into it in another place that was supposed to break you out, it's even worse. And that's what they were bumping into. And so finally, one morning, their guitar player at the Edge was, was working on a little tune, playing something, and Bono showed up at the studio, and, and the engineers had a rule with Bono. Whenever he walks in the room, hit record and let him just go up to the microphone because Bono's most brilliant things would come when he first walks in the studio and he'd just start making stuff up on the microphone. Well, that's what he did that morning. And what he began to, to sing out became the words to this song that we just heard. It became one. And one ended up being the song that launched the whole album, The Octune Baby, uh, for those who are real YouTube followers, uh, that just celebrated its 20th anniversary uh, last year. That song was pivotal to him. But what was interesting about the song is I see a guy that's wrestling with a lot of questions in his heart. Being in relationships hard, isn't it? Being married's hard. You going to get an amen? We had one. <laughs> Being with any group of people, no matter how much you love them, being in committed long-term relationship is hard. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's work. And what I see Bono wrestling with, what it means to be friends, what it means to be in community, but not just that. I see him wrestling with what it means to, to have a mission in your life. See, you too, the guys in you too, it, it's, a, it's a great picture that they didn't just exist because of their own friendship. They actually created something that touched the world. There was a mission in it. There was something that, that existed outside the group. It wasn't just a group of guys getting together to jam on Friday nights in the garage. They actually were creating something that would touch people. Not only that, 
by the 80s, they, you know, late 80s, they were involved in shining the light on all kinds of injustices. They were working with Amnesty International. They were calling governments into account for, for things, abuses that they were doing on human rights. I see Bono in this song. He's wrestling with all these things. We're one, but we're not the same. We're different. We hurt each other, and then we do it again and again. Is it worth continuing on? You know, when I read this, you know, the, the lyrics to the song, it, it reminds me a lot of psalms that David wrote. You know, there's a lot of psalms that David wrote. We can't sing the lyrics in churches <laughs> because it's, it's just it's pretty heavy stuff. David often would start out the psalms by saying, God, where are you? Little help. <laughs> I'm drowning. I'm dying. My best friends are betraying me. God, how come the good guys are getting punished, and the bad guys are getting rewarded. You ever ask yourself that? David was so honest with God. And sometimes the beginning of the the Psalms are very depressing. You go to the Bible looking for help with depression, you're like, I don't know if I need to, where's God? I don't know if I need to read that stuff. But what we find towards the end of the Psalms, David often turns a corner. (laughs) And he says, in spite of how it looks, I will praise you in the land of the living. In spite of everything that goes on, I know that you've come in every time in the past, and I know, I remember how you've come through for me. I know that my life is in your hands, and I trust my life to you. I see Bono turning that corner in this song. The end of the song, he says, one love, one blood, one life, you got to do what you should. One life with each other, sisters and brothers, one life, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other. I love that last line. We get to carry each other. That's a simple line, but it's very profound. We get the privilege to carry each other. I I think that the the reason why that song was so pivotal in in their band's history, that they turned the corner. They, They said, it is worth it. Community is worth it. Our mission, the thing we're doing together, it's worth all the other junk. It's worth all the trials and tribulations and all that other junk we, we, we've gone through because we get to carry each other. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but, but three of the four members of U2 are, are, are devout Christians. And I believe this, this last line hits on a really spiritual principle, something that God ha- has for us in the church, some of God's plan, that we would have that same mentality, that we would consider it a privilege that we get to carry each other along. I want to read a passage today from Galatians chapter 5, verse uh, 13. I'm going to read it first in the TNIV, and then we're going to read it in the message. You, my brothers and sisters, or as I would translate it, y'all, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He continues this thought in Galatians 6. Verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I like the way Eugene Peterson uh, renders these verses in the message. And I think I put that in your outline. 
It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. You know, we're in this series right now called Fellowship of the King, and we're looking at what does it mean to live as people in the kingdom of God? What's it mean to live with a kingdom perspective on life? Paul, in these verses, he's kind of contrasting two points of view. The, the way people think about freedom in this world, how does that? Freedom's, it's all about me. I'm free to do what I want in the old time. That's the song of the world around us. I'm free to do whatever I want. Freedom is just about me and my choices and my life. But Paul says, that's not freedom. True freedom comes when you use your freedom to serve one another in love. Have you ever noticed when, when you're trying, when, it's, when freedom, you make it all about yourself and your own kind of self-indulgent needs? Uh, how, how's that work? <laughs> I can, I can look at a day off for me sometimes, and sometimes on a day off, I'm like, man, I don't want to do anything except just be self-indulgent and lazy. And so I lay on the couch and eat fried food and, and watch reality TV. And I feel worse at the end of the day than I, than I did starting out. And if you're not careful, if you string enough days like that together, it becomes a habit and a pattern and an addiction. And pretty soon you're addicted to watching the Kardashians and fried food and, and, and your life. You've totally lost your freedom. What am I? This is not my beautiful life. <laughs> That's not freedom. Freedom's not about your personal choice and your personal what I can do for me. Freedom exists in loving one another, in serving one another. We get to carry each other. We get the privilege of that in the church. But you know, sadly, most people outside of the church, and sadly enough, a lot of people in the church don't experience what that means that we get to carry each other. You know, I have something to confess today. Um, my name's Crispin, and I'm a recovering loner. <laughs> Y'all are supposed to say hi, Crispin. I don't have enough 12-steppers in here. Okay. <laughs> I'm a recovering loner. I have to say, being alone comes very easy to me. I grew up an only child, and for a, a portion of my childhood, we lived out in the middle of the desert <laughs> in West Texas. So not only did I not have any siblings... I didn't have any friends for miles except for dogs and the occasional rattlesnake. And uh, uh, my life, I grew up even as a teenager when I was in high school. It's like I didn't have that many close friends. I was kind of surface friends with a lot of people. But I didn't really, I was perfectly fine being alone. So I thought, that's my default. I don't mind going to movies alone. I don't mind eating alone. I don't mind being alone. I I like that. (laughs) Sometimes I like it a little too much because I've seen over the years that when I am alone, when I'm left to my own self and my own, if I cut myself off from people, bad things happen. (laughs) I don't become more free. I become less free. You know, uh, this week, 
I really saw some good examples of, of needing to carry one another's burdens. See, every one of us needs people to carry our burdens with us. Every one of you. Say that with me. I need somebody to carry my burdens with me. <laughs> we all do. You know, on Tuesday night, I, I, I did my first Thai group, which we've been talking about Thai groups for a few weeks, which is a three is enough group, T-I-E. And basically, it's just making a point to get together once a week with two or three other people, not for a Bible study, not to dig into theology. We're just going to talk and then pray for each other. Which if you're guys getting together, it means that you're going to talk about meaningless stuff for about an hour before you get around to like actually opening up about things you need prayer for. But that's another story. <laughs> but I got together with two guys I'd never done a Thai group before. And, with, and we, we sat down and we began to, after an hour of talking about other stuff, we, we finally began to share our hearts. This is what I'm struggling with. These are the situations that I'm, I'm anxious about. This is where I could really use some friends praying for me. And we just said a little prayer for one another. I, there was no great spiritual breakthrough that happened that moment when we were praying. It's not like I left going, wow, I, I just, I, I needed that. But I found just by sharing my burdens with a couple of people who were on the same journey with me, it made a big difference. I need to share my burdens with other people. I don't need to carry that stuff myself. Then on Thursday, I've got a good friend of mine who uh, we did our teaching team meeting, and it was very small this week. I almost canceled our teaching team on Thursday because I was kind of overwhelmed, a little stressed out this week. And by Thursday, I usually like to have some idea what I'm going to do on the weekend, and I didn't have any idea. I'm like, man, I got like six different things I'm looking at and hadn't landed on either one of them. So I showed up at the teaching meeting <laughs> and teaching team meeting, and I told the guys, uh, there's only two guys that showed up that morning. So I was like, um, I got nothing you guys got anything? And they didn't have much either. We talked about world economics for about an hour and then uh, had some good pancakes and, and left. <laughs> but one of the guys there emailed me on Thursday. He said, or Friday morning, said, hey, look, you know, you, you seem kind of burned out or a little tense yesterday, a little overwhelmed. And by the time I got the email, I I was working. I'd finished my first message for this weekend, which I ended up throwing away. And... Uh, I said, no, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, I emailed him back. I'm doing good. I, I feel better now. I finally got a message. I'm, I'm, I'm doing better. I, I was a little stressed out earlier. Well, he was persistent. The next day I get an email from him. He says, well, look, you know, um, judging from a few of the words in your last email, you, you seem like you're still kind of stressed out. And, uh, you know, and, and initially I wanted to get kind of aggravated. Like, why won't you let this thing go? <laughs> but... I called him up. I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I am a little stressed out. Maybe I am a little overwhelmed. Um, and so we talked for about 30 minutes and gave me some ideas on some, some things that, that, that could really help me out. And they did. There wasn't any great spiritual breakthrough in that conversation. But I look at this week and I realize that, you know, I've got people in my life, some people that I'm voluntarily sharing stuff with, but then I've also got friends in my life who love me enough to call me on stuff. Even persistently, <laughs> I need people in my life to carry my burdens. But not only that, I need to carry burdens of other people too. See, if you just if you if your Christianity just becomes you know some of you are very good with sharing your stuff with other people. <laughs> I find you you either 
probably fall to one extreme or the other. You can share everything with people or you don't share anything. But if, if all you do is share your burdens with other people, but you don't carry anybody's burdens, that's not the right place to go either. We need to begin to carry the burdens of others. At my Thai group on Tuesday night, one thing that was great for me is I got to hear where two guys in the church are and what they're struggling with. And I'd never done a Thai group with these guys, so I had no idea. But, you know, walking away from that meeting, I was remembering these guys all week. I was remembering the struggles they're having with their jobs and different things and family. And and I was like, I kept lifting that up. I was aware of them. I was carrying their burdens. We need to do that. You know, otherwise, if I don't make intentionality in my life to to sit down and listen to where people are at, it ain't going to happen, right? (laughs) You know that? You're not going to just start, if you're waiting for God to just give you revelation on things you need to pray for, you're missing it. You need to get intentional. And it's not just prayer. I've seen in this church plenty of examples over the last year of people who are bearing one another's burdens as well. You know, there's a lady in our church, a single mom who, uh, not too long ago, she was in horrible financial position. She didn't know she was going to make it much longer. Uh, Her money was beginning to dry up, and she had some big bills popping up. And one day she told her friend, she said, look, um, I got to have a miracle here. I got to have a financial miracle. I don't know how we're going to pull this thing off. She's like, I mean, I need the kind of miracle like somebody will pull up next to my car and give me some unmarked envelopes with, with some money in it. That kind of envelope. I mean, that's how desperate I am. Well, a day or two later, she comes to church on a Sunday morning. And that afternoon, she's driving away from church. Somebody from our church flags her down. They come up to her car. And they give her a couple of unmarked envelopes filled with money. <laughs> not just a little money. Not just enough money to, to get her through the week. But thousands of dollars. Enough money to get her down the road. That, to me, that's a picture of, of people who, who are bearing with one another's burdens. I love you enough that I'm not going to let you face your life alone. I love you enough that if I have some means on helping your situation out, I'm going to do it. It might be prayer. It might just be sitting and listening to you at a coffee shop. It might be getting into my pocketbook, whatever. We get to carry each other. Now, there's another side to, to, to carrying each other's burdens. Uh, I want to read a quote from a guy, Todd Hunter. We read his book, uh, Christianity Beyond Belief, um, in our uh, small groups last year. Todd writes this, he says, when we look at the needs of the people around us and of the needs in the world, it can become mind-numbing and worse, heart and soul deadening. If we're not careful, it can shut us down. We need to see that I am not responsible to remedy all this, but we, as we respond together as God's people, true healing will be found. You know, it's, it's easy to look at the needs around. I'm, I'm sure in your families... And in your homes, I'm sure we can all write a list of probably five to ten people that are in bad situations right now. 
And that's just the people we know. Then you come to church and you start running into situations here and it's like, man, there's a lot of messed up people. Then you turn on CNN and you're like, oh my goodness, there's world calamities, tornadoes, economic. It's easy to just get numb because you want to carry some of the load. But then when you see all the loads out there, you're like, ah, can't do it. You know, when we were getting ready to plant this church, we had to go through this uh, process of church planning where we went through some classes with a church planning coach. And one of the questions that our, our coach asked us at one point, he says, what are you planning to do about pastoral care? Pastoral care is like, you know, meeting with sick people, marriage counseling, things like that, uh, you know, taking care of people. What do you, what's your plan to do that? And I was like, I don't really have much of a plan, you know. Uh, he said, well, you might want to get one. <laughs> he was telling me that when his church got up to about 60 people, he realized when you hit 60 people, that's too much for one guy. I mean, probably, it's probably actually a little bit further back, but 60 people, not all of them are going to have a crisis at the same time, hopefully. <laughs> But he said, you ought to consider a plan for, for when your church gets a little bit bigger. Like, how are you going to, to, to deal with, with helping needs of people in your church? Well, I never came up with a plan. And finally, I bumped into the reality of that early last summer. We, um, there was one week in this church, and it was a, a very trying time in my life personally before I hit this week. There's one week where our little church, there were five or six people in the hospital in one week. I mean, people having motorcycle accidents, emergency room visits. And then I had a person in my immediate family in the hospital as well. It was crazy. I would go up to St. Tammany Hospital, meet with somebody on one floor, go up to another floor and meet with them, then go to another hospital, and then go to... I mean, there was like four hospitals where people from this church were at. I got into pastoring because I love people and I want to help people, right? But I realized that week... I'm only one person. <laughs> I can't do it all. But you know what? I'm not supposed to do it all. We carry each other. What Todd Hunter's getting at here, he says, we need to see that I am not responsible to remedy all this, but as we respond together, true healing will be found. As we respond. I, I love to see, you know, that's one thing I'm having to realize. Like, I've got limits in my life. I'm not very good at realizing that and... Sometimes I realize it for about five minutes and then forget it. But, but one reason we've started having a prayer team up here on the weekends is I don't want to be the only guy praying for people. We want to share the burden of that. When it comes to doing different things in the church, we have plenty of people. We've got plenty of people playing music. We've got plenty of people and all these things because we carry this stuff together. And as we carry it together, we find true healing. I read this one time. The church is not the place you go to. It's a community, a group you participate in. Church meetings are not the game. They prepare us for the game. A lot of people tend to think of church as it's kind of like a little box, a compartment. I'm going to church. I'm going to a church service. My church is located over here. I go to church. I open up this box. I sing a little song, hear a word, drop something in the basket. I close that box up, and I put it to the side and, until next Sunday. A lot of people consider church like that. But church is not the game itself. It prepares us for the game. This is the place where we come. We worship Jesus. We take communion. We share our lives so we can get fueled up to, to go be the church 
outside those doors. While what we do here is important, it ain't the whole thing. You with me? I wrote a, a blog post back in June of, of 2009. Now, in the history of this church, that was before our church was actually started. It's before we started meeting as a small group. We were just getting ready to, to plant a church. We were still living on the South Shore. And I wrote a, a blog post entitled, Where is Your Church Going to Be? And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll probably read the part of it. But a question I started getting asked by a lot of people was, where is your church going to be? Well, on the North Shore. Well, where on the North Shore? Where, where is your church going to be? And I realized when people ask that question, they, they mean, where is the building going to be? <laughs> Where's the box? That's right. Where's that thing going to be? And, and it began to, to, to cause me to realize that I think there's a, a fundamental misunderstanding in our culture, in our world, of what church is. It's not some place you go. It's something that you be. I know that's not right, grammatically. But it's what you are. It's what you are a part of. I've heard a good question. I think I put this in your bulletin. Um, if your church were to disappear tomorrow, would your community even notice? Or for that matter, would it even care? That's a great question when we start asking ourselves about what are we doing in the community. I mean, if our church disappears, would anybody care? Or are we not making any impact on the community? But a, a, an, an even better question to ask is, if your church building and Sunday service were to disappear, would your church still exist? If, if we had to do away with child care and we got kicked out of this building because we keep staining up the carpet with coffee... If we, if, if we didn't have all this, would we still be a church? Well, I hope the answer would be yes. You know, back in, uh, back in 2005, August of 2005, the Kinder Vineyard, which I'd been on staff for a few years at that time, uh, they had been in this little strip mall for 20 years. And that whole time, because they were in a strip mall, Kind of like us, they, they were able to just keep putting money aside, you know, and then one day they were able to like buy a big piece of land and then eventually build this like $5 million, 45,000 square foot facility. And, uh, and it was great. We were all excited because at that point we were doing like seven services a weekend, sometimes eight services a weekend. It's hard to sing for eight services a weekend. I was just the worship leader at the time. I can't even imagine speaking that many times on the weekend. Uh, but we were all so looking forward to getting in this building. We're like, yes, and we moved the offices over there, and we were getting ready for our grand opening, and we knew the weekend that we were going to have our grand opening, man, we were probably going to double the size of that church within a couple of weeks. We just knew it, because that's what happens with a lot of churches. When they get a bigger box, they get a lot more people. But a little thing happened before our grand opening. Uh, about six days before the day we were supposed to have our grand opening, Katrina came through. And Katrina just really screwed up our old building bad, but our new building got about a quarter million dollars worth of damage as well. It was still, we could use it once we got the water out and stuff, but I look back on that time, and it was a trying time. It was, a, it was hard, but I thank God for it because I think as far as ministry and church goes, it, it, it saved my life a bit. I think we were on the path that had the church keep going down the, the direction it was going, I would probably have ended up in an office a whole lot and probably would have got tired of that after a while and, and quit. <laughs> or I would have just become a guy that sits in an office a lot. Nothing wrong with that if that's what you do. 
But when Katrina happened, all of a sudden the church, you know, we we were meeting in exile congregations uh, all over. Like I was leading a little church service for Kenner Vineyard people in Houston. There was a Kenner Vineyard congregation in Lafayette and one in Baton Rouge. It's like the church was popping up in these different places. But when we began to return, we, we found that we weren't so hung up on the building anymore. We were just glad to be alive. We started out with just a few hundred people. And then over the next couple of years, we got back to about the population in the church that we wanted, that, that we were before the storm, but it was, it was a whole new different crew. But we, we, we found something, though, that, that we got in touch with the heart of God, with, with the mission of God that's not so attached to the building. I want to read something I wrote in the blog. What began to happen was that folks began to gather around a mission, cooking and serving hot meals to people. Ripping out sheetrock and carpet in flooded homes, staging job fairs, praying with people, or just sitting with folks in front of their ruined homes and listening to their stories. Instead of folks just showing up to be attendees of a weekend service, they were actually beginning to be the church in the community, being the touch of God to a hurting and broken world. Was it messy? You bet. Chaotic? At, very, at times it was very chaotic. And by the way, it wasn't all good. The truth is that the shaking up of everything caused some pretty ugly stuff to come up in the hearts of many a sincere believer, including myself. Yet, in the wreckage of Katrina, when all the rhythms of life were broken, when infrastructure was crumbling all around, when the very fabric of the culture and government seemed to be coming undone, Christ followers almost instinctively began to move from passivity to active mission. The church, in a very real sense, had left the building. (laughs) And this was good news. The church left the building. So, back to the question that I started my blog with. Where is your church going to be? Well, hopefully, wherever there are broken, hurting people who desperately need to experience the love of God through compassionate humanity. It will be with at-risk children in the public schools and single moms who are just trying to make ends meet. It will be with those struggling to find their way out of addictions and those who are empty after being filled with everything that this world has to offer, with down-and-outers and up-and-outers. It will be with those who are fumbling towards faith and those who are wrestling with doubts. It will be with those who gather in homes, coffee shops, local bars, and those who gather on a weekend to celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done. The actual location may be hard to pin down from one moment to the next, but hopefully the church will be recognizable not just by a building where it meets each week, but by its mission and by the community of people who've been absolutely ruined by the love of God. So I wrote that before we ever started this church. The good news is I see indications of that kind of stuff happening. You know, I got to admit, this building, it's been challenging. You've been here when it's been challenging. Our first Easter service we had in here, oh my goodness, we decided to have an all-age service in here. We, we had a wall back there, and it was, it was crazy. You couldn't even move around. Our first Christmas Eve service, it was, we had 80 people packed into a room that could hold about 60. There are challenges here, and sometimes I think, ah, oh, I wish we had a different place. But honestly, I don't want to make church about the building 
because it's not really about the building. I'm thankful for this place. I'm thankful we have a place to worship God together. And hopefully one day we'll get a bigger box. (laughs) But in the meantime, we get to carry each other. We get to be the people of God. Let's don't settle for something else. What are a few ways you can practically experience this in your life in North Shore Vineyard in the coming weeks? Well, number one, I said tie groups. If you haven't joined a tie group yet, find two or three people that you may know today. They don't even have to go to this church. Just say, hey, can we get together once a week for an hour? It could be at a coffee shop. It could be in a living room. We're just going to talk and pray for one another. doesn't have to be some super spiritual crazy thing. Just talk and pray. Try one of those. Secondly, we got our small groups starting this week. Consider being a part of one of those. We're just getting together to do life together, uh, to, to talk about God and pray for one another. But the, the, the third thing is, there's a need of a family in our church. And I don't know how many of y'all know Doug and Maite. We prayed for Doug a few weeks ago. He had a stroke. Um, they, they'd only been coming to our church for a few months. Maite used to go to the church on the South Shore. Um, Doug had a stroke a few weeks ago. He's only in his early 50s, I believe. But um, he's, he's also struggling with cancer right now, fighting cancer. And Maite got in touch with me this week and, and, or a week ago and said, would, would you think you could maybe send some people over to take care of some landscaping stuff and you know general stuff outside and maybe build a handicap ramp? I was like, Absolutely. That's why we're here. We get to carry each other. We get to. And so this Saturday coming up, we're going to gather over at their house and we're going to pull some weeds, spray some pine straw, trim some hedges. We're going to build a handicap ramp. And then we're also going to surround Doug and pray for him and just pray that God would touch him and that God would heal him because that's what the church does. Because that's what the church is. We don't use our freedom for our own selfish indulgence, but we use our freedom to serve one another in love. So if you want to be a part of that, we do have a sign-up sheet over there by the whatever we call that desk thing. Uh, sign up on there, put your name down and, and your contact info, and I'll, I'll contact you this week and tell you where it is. It's in Covington. Uh, but we get to be the church. Why don't you stand? Is it getting better? Or do you feel the same?